electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland in for Scott Wapner. A few key items front and center this hour. Stocks pulling back following a hotter than expected inflation report. Most of the Bitcoin ETFs are pulling back in their trading debuts. And of course, earnings season is about to kick off with the banks on deck. Our investment committee is standing by right here at Post 9 to break this entire thing down. Join us for the hour. Bryn Talkington, Josh Brown, Brenda Vangelo, and Jim Labenthal. But first, let's get a check of the market at noon Eastern. As we mentioned, uh, all the major indices in the red right now. The Dow down more than 200 points. The S&P down nearly 1%. The Nasdaq Composite down 1%. The Nasdaq 100 on pace to break its four-session losing, or excuse me, break its four-session winning streak. Looking like it's going to lose today. We also want to pay attention to bond yields right now. The 10-year in particular. Take a look. Yields back above 4% at 4.03. Um, something that everybody on the market's been watching right now. So I think we want to jump right into it. Josh Brown, I'm going to come over to you. What do you make of that very slightly hotter than expected inflation report and also yields going back above four? So I, I have said on the show that I feel the big risk in the first half of this year is not things like commercial real estate or bank loans going bad or credit card default. I think the risk is the economy overheating and the stock market overheating. And this is one of those data points, unfortunately, that could potentially be another stair step in the wrong direction, quite frankly. So CPI up 3.4% year over year is an acceleration. Now, granted, it's an acceleration from 3.1. A little bit we're splitting hairs, but again, directionally, it's not what we're looking for. The six-month annualized rate is now 3.2%, and in November, it was 2.9. We had these two really tame prints in July and August, and that, that is what set the market on fire leading up into that. And now the concern is, were those the aberration? So I, I think it's too early to say. I still think when, when you're, you're thinking about anything near 2.9 or 3.2, you are splitting hairs. But if next month is 3.4, Houston, we have a problem. One last thing on this. This is why we don't make all-in bets on things like the direction of inflation uh, going one way or the other. Look at oil. Oil is up 3% today. Uh, natural gas is up 5% today. The XLE is the only sector green. Yesterday, it was one of the only sectors red. This is what diversification does for a portfolio. You don't have to live or die based on one potential macroeconomic outlook. You can just have a portfolio that's durable enough to get you through days like today. Brent, what do you yeah. make of CPI? Was there any part of it, whether it was shelter, food, was any part that stuck out in your mind? I think on the positive side, core came in at 0.3. I think the market was thinking it could be on the high side of 0.5. But listen, to Josh's point, and to flesh that out a little bit more, interest rates do not just fall in a linear fashion. And so I think that we're going to have to have the market understand that there's a low likelihood that we have six to seven rate cuts 
and more along the lines of three or less. Because as long as inflation, forget GDP for a second because they're not necessarily correlated, inflation is in that three to four percent range, there is zero reason for the Fed to be cutting rates. And so I think as the first week we saw was slightly negative for January, we'll see how the first month ends. But I think we're setting up for a more volatile 2024, kind of like 2017, then we had 2018 with a tremendous amount of volatility. I think that's where we are right now. So Jim, uh, Josh pointed out it was a miss, but it was still a slight miss. And directionally, it's not going the right way. But this is the smallest gain on CPI since May. When you talk about core CPI since May of 2021, what do you make of this report and the, the reaction by the market? Okay, so factually, it's a little hotter than expectations. We can parse it the way you were just doing it. We can find reasons to think maybe it's not that hot, but I'm not going to do that. I, I think this is a moment to bring out that very hackneyed analogy of the dog walker and the dog. Okay, the markets are a dog, a little yappy dog on a walk with a dog walker. The dog walker is the Fed. Okay, the Fed, we know which direction the Fed is going. They're done with rate hikes. At some point this year, they're going to cut rates. Are they going to cut rates six times? I really strongly disagree with the market's assertion that they will. Are they going to cut in March, which, by the way, the CMA futures March, uh, market right now says 70% probability? I, I disagree with that. But clearly, we know what direction the dog walker, this is Mr. Powell, and the Fed in general, is going. On the other hand, the, the dog, which is the markets, is, is like this yappy little dog running from one side of the pathway to the other. We're going to have six rate cuts. We're going to have three rate cuts. We're going to have no rate cuts. We're going to overheat. Maybe, Josh, you're right. Maybe we do. I don't know. Um, but that is the markets being this yappy dog. You've got to go in the direction that the dog walker is going. And let me be clear, we're headed in the direction of rate cuts. That matters. The reason it matters is in that context, good news is good news. We're no longer going to wring our hands if jobless claims come in better than expected. We're no longer going to wring our hands if the economy comes in hotter than expected. I think I disagree with you slightly on that, Josh, but that's fine. That makes a market. Um, that context is dramatic different than the last two years. All right, so Jim's used an analogy, the dog walker and the dog, the it's like a chihuahua yapping. Brenda, what do you think about all this? Because clearly the markets seem to be wringing their hands today over, again, 0.1 of a percent, slightly hotter than expected. Well, I think overall it is a disappointment, but I think within the figure there were some numbers that didn't make a whole lot of sense, particularly shelter, where we had been expecting more improvement because other measures of shelter are showing something completely different. So I think it could be a one-off, but nevertheless, I think as we look to the market in 2024, hopefully it won't be a dog. I don't think it will be, uh, because I do think that corporate earnings are still poised uh, to be much better than last year, certainly if we think about the earnings recession that we had uh, during the first half. Um, and if we think about um, corporate sentiment, just if we can move beyond this concept of a recession being just six months away, I think there is room for corporate spending to increase in this environment that we're in. Um, if we can all agree that the environment still remains relatively healthy, and so far it seems like it will be one, that way. One of the weirdest things in CPI, this to, to Brenda's point, there are always aberrant components within CPI, and we have the choice here in the media, we can either emphasize them or dismiss them. Um, vehicle insurance, which is probably the reason why everyone hates the president right now. Uh, as long as gasoline is, is low, that's probably the, the other thing. Can you believe what I'm paying for my car insurance? Um, vehicle insurance was up 2% in December alone. It's up 20% year over year. That is absurd. But that's the nature. That's the, the largest increase, year over year increase since 1976. So none of us sitting here on the panel have ever seen anything like that before. But that's an example of how weird 
these stats can be, the way they're collected, the way they're compiled, and then the way we process them. And so it's important that we don't completely change our investment outlook based on any one print. We really do have to focus on 90 days, six months, one year. What is the bigger trend, not what is the headline this morning? All right. Um, the next major catalyst for the markets is fourth quarter earnings season, which is set to begin tomorrow, of course, with the banks. Uh, Jim, I'm going to start off with you. What are you expecting from earnings season when we're talking about the banks? Um, a lot of things, net income uh, margin, uh, commercial loans, I mean, credit availability, so many things to look at. Is there one in particular that you're focused on? Well, first off, I'm really excited to start earnings season because the corollary to what I was just saying about the Fed becoming less important is that earnings take center stage. For us to continue the rally that we've had in the last few months, it's predicated on 11, 12% earnings growth this year over last, and uh, that has to come through. So with regards to tomorrow, yes, the banks kick it off. Uh, what I'm looking for, the banks never, uh, never excite me in terms of, hey, does Citigroup do better than J.P. Morgan? It excites me from the point of view of what they say about things like consumer delinquencies, credit card delinquencies. That's been something we've been talking about. Market participants have been worrying about a lot. So I'm looking for J.P. Morgan and Citigroup to tell me, just for instance, are those normalizing or are they doing worse than normalization? And, you know, there's other ancillary things that I'm going to think about, and some people may find these not ancillary. Net interest income, that should be getting better as the yield curve gets less steep. Um, overall loan demand. These are important macroeconomic indicators. All right. One thing that wasn't ancillary, that warning from Citi uh, expecting a deeper quarterly loss due to the decline of the Argentine peso and also restructuring. What was your take on the announcement? Um, I, Not I, the Argentine peso. <laughs> oh, no. You want me to do the whole dog-dog thing again? Sell it all. <laughs> this is the dog-dog oh, No, I know. Um, Actually, in some way, I'm perversely happy to do this because Citigroup has had a tremendous discount to tangible book value, almost 50% for quite some time. That has been the market's way of saying, we expect write-offs coming. Now, we know that Citigroup has restructured its international businesses over the last two and a half years. These were somewhat expected, and the size of them doesn't phase me at all compared to the discount to tangible book value that the shares sell at. So I do actually find this as a buying opportunity right now in Citigroup. All right, Brenda, you're underweight financials. You on J.P. Morgan and BlackRock. We do. And I think, you know, in earnings season, I think we're going to hear some hopefulness probably about capital markets starting to turn up, although I don't think they did during the fourth quarter, but I think it'll be hopefulness about what's to come early in this year. I think those banks that do have exposure to wealth management will have a nice boost in the assets growing, having grown during the fourth quarter. So I think there will be some bright spots or hopefulness in some of the earnings reports. We're, we've maintained an underweight position uh, We've had a nice move in the banks, and if we look at kind of their sweet spot, bread and butter, and it's moved on to the private market. You know, we are propositioned weekly or more with managers, uh, with their products within uh, within private the private loan market, and it has grown exponentially. And unfortunately, it's come at the cost of, of the banks. <laughs> it used to be good, profitable business, and it's not there anymore. It has moved on. So I think that's a problem um, when it comes to, to overall profitability. So Josh, you know, and JPM, you've been pretty consistent saying you think it's best in breed. Is there anything that you're worried about? Is there anything you're looking for as a possible flag, whether it's green, red, whatever color you want it to be? Well, it's the acknowledged best in breed. And actually, last year, finally, the stock market caught up to that reality. It was far and away the best performer of, of the group and deserved to be. It was the right bank for the right moment. The concern with JPM is and has always been how much are investors overpaying? 
for how great of a company it is. There's never any question, is this the best bank? So now the, the focus for me just shifts to, I think BlackRock's the, the most interesting story. So BlackRock, we don't talk that much about it on the show. It is a obviously mega asset manager. They're in a lot of really critical businesses for investors. And the question is, do the losses, the, the fund flow losses of 2023 reverse this year? BlackRock, like every other asset manager, had to fight 5% rates on cash. Very, very difficult fight, and they lost, and everyone else lost too, believe me. This year, that could reverse as we see, like even the two-year uh, didn't really react to the hotter-than-expected CPI. Like it's very possible that that cash trade is coming to an end and the flows will reverse. So I'm watching BlackRock to see if we get some uh, some hint of, it'll probably be in the comments, not in the results, but I'm, I'm watching to see what they say on that front. Bren, you're yeah, the contrarian. Right. No banks. I mean, we're explicitly underweight the banks. I think to build on Brenda's, since the great financial crisis, we have the banks have, from a regulatory perspective, been anesthetized of all of those wonderful prof profits yeah. they used to have, and for good reason. And so where that shifted is into the private markets. So a Blackstone, um, a BlackRock, also on the public side. And so we do a lot on the private credit side, and they continue to do what the banks used to do. And so I think outside of Morgan Stanley and J.P. Morgan, the way, that, the way that I own them is through the toll roads of global finance. I use, I own Visa. You could do MasterCard. I think that's a much more durable way to play finances without taking that regulatory, that regulatory hit that all of those banks will continue to, I think, weigh on their ability to have multiple expansions. Interesting. So, Josh, I want to come back to you. Uh, JPM traded about 10 times forward earnings. I know you're not a big valuation guy, but in your mind, are financials cheap right now? Is, is a, a bank the quality of a JP Morgan cheap? Should investors just no, jump in? It's no, it's not cheap. It's at a premium. It should be. And the way to look at JP Morgan is probably a multiple to book versus uh, they're all going to trade eight to 10 times earnings. Uh, JP Morgan trades at a premium to the other names, again, because it should. Um, so the question is, is the premium too big, Frank? And I think no, and I'm holding it. Um, I look at the parabolic move that Citi just made, and I know they're getting a lot of credit for cleaning house and big layoffs and layoffs all over the world and going business by business and trying to get a little bit smarter about what to, what to invest more in and what to get rid of. They might be getting more credit, though, than what the results will actually show they can deliver, at least in the near term. And to echo Bryn's point, these are not the same companies they were 15 years ago. They're, they've become globally regulated utilities. If they're not up against U.S. regulations, they're up against Basel. It's always something with these banks. They have to ask permission to pay out dividends and do buybacks. It's not an attractive sector for me overall. I'm not terribly interested in it. When you ask me what financials am I in, I'm in Berkshire Hathaway B shares. They own some bank equity. It's like enough for me. So I like J.P. Morgan. I do not like the others. I would not be buying the others ahead of their earnings. All right. We're going to get some more insight into the banking sector tomorrow, actually. City CFO Mark Mason, he's going to be on CNBC in a first on CNBC interview. Uh, we'll continue to watch the banks throughout the day. But again, tomorrow, 3 p.m. on Closing Bell, Mark Mason, City's CFO. All right, as we await results from the banks, we, of course, are keeping our eye on tech. Uh, as we mentioned, the NASDAQ 100 on pace to snap a four-session winning streak. I said losing streak by accident. Uh, Brenda, I'm going to come over to you. This is your wheelhouse. What do you make of what's going on in tech, and what happened to the idea that the market was broadening? Well, I think, you know, if we look, tech absolutely participated in the fourth quarter of last year, no doubt, after having a phenomenal first half of the year. 
Um, so, uh, but I think within the large cap tech space, there are areas we would favor over others. When we look at something like an Apple, valuation's high, we're concerned about um, you know, growth in China and having that slow and, and slowing iPhone sales overall. But when we look at other areas uh, like a Salesforce and NVIDIA and Amazon, we continue to see opportunity there, whether it's from margin improvement overall with an Amazon and a, a Salesforce or just with overall top line growth with an NVIDIA. So we think there still are opportunities within the group and would not categorize them just as one, one right. or nothing. But I think you have to be a little bit picky um, when, when sifting through. You know, Brenda, you hit on some Something, uh, earlier in Worldwide Exchange we are talking quite a bit about. So historically, uh, technology trades at about 17.7 times its forward P.E. Right now, currently, it's at 24 and a half times its forward P.E. Brent, I'm going to come over to you. What does that make you think? I mean, there's the AI trade in video we're going to talk about in a second. Um, obviously, given a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of uh, you know encouragement to investors on the AI trade. But that, that much above its historic valuation, what does that say to you? I think it should give you a small lens into where we are, but I've said this so many times, PE is a terrible metric for making trades. And so let me just take a step back. I think we're all asking ourselves, can tech have another good year? And actually last year was a great year. The NASDAQ composite was at 43, the Qs were up more than that. But if you look at the NASDAQ over rolling two year returns, the actual average return for two years is 25%. Right now, over the last two years, the NASDAQ is negative, and the NASDAQ 100 is only up 4%. So the history with any guide, if you take a two-year lens, tech is actually pretty cheap. So I don't think we're entering that 99, 90, you know, 98, 99 phase, and I still think there's room to run, especially as these companies are getting more excited about AI, implementing AI, and so I think there's room for multiple expansion. All right, multiple expansion room. Bryn says, Jim, I'm gonna come over to you. Today, Apple uh, named a top pick by Goldman Sachs, reiterated the price target of 227, saying they see potential for upward earnings revisions to drive the upside. Agree or disagree? I kind of mildly disagree, but let me put it in this context that all of these analysts know on Apple in the first two weeks of the year seem to be a little hollow to me. They seem to be lacking specificity. They seem to be lacking data. I mean, sure, Apple could go up. If the markets go up, it's 6% of the S&P 500. Just passive index investing is going to generate uh, flows into Apple. By the way, they buy back a lot of shares. But in terms of a catalyst up or down, I find it hard to find one. And I know last week there were a lot of downgrades saying that the iPhone market is slowing. Goggles. I mean. Tell me something. February. Well, no, hang on. That's I know fun. you. I know you want to go there. So, and I've I've listened to you on well, it. I just, just went there. Wait, 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 wait. Let me just finish. Wait, you I, that, four Josh, you, you legitimately what? have that much faith in those goggles? He does. It's he the does. start of you something. Go you go ahead. I'm just I'm just saying I'm not saying it will be the catalyst, but you said I don't even know what a catalyst could be. OMG, it's the first new major product launch since 2016. So I, 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 Josh, all, I'm not with you on this. I mean, I love you. I'm just I, I hear you. You're not I the customer you. they have in mind I, when they're developing these things. Like listen, in fairness, I hear your passion, and when I hear you passionate, I take it very seriously. I just don't see this as you know. Remember the watches when they came out, and how long that took to really gain traction, and we were waiting quarter after quarter for that to be the catalyst. I, I, you're right. I'm not the customer, so maybe that that skews my vision. No pun intended. But you I see this being remember, more like the do, watches. You do remember the scoffing at the phone, right? I do. Nokia laughed at it. Okay. You remember the scoffing at AirPods? What kind of idiot would walk down the street with those? It's one of the big. If that if AirPods were a standalone company, it would be in the S&P 500. So I understand the skepticism. Like, who wants to wear goggles? 
until I show you, I could simulate literally being a submarine captain during World War II. You're my and XO? I put them over. Are you my XO? Sure. I don't <laughs> think they don't let gentlemen of, of my size on, on submarines. <laughs> well, Josh, I put those on your head and you go, oh, wait a minute. Maybe this is the next category. But, but Josh, let me ask you, where does Apple succeed where Meta fails? No rock the goggles for sure. But I have the MetaQuest headset and I don't like it. I get dizzy. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Nobody else is on there. Yeah. What this do you is do? not that. That's straight video gaming. This is so different. Bryn, Bryn has the Meta Ray-Bans. Yeah, I didn't want to say, I didn't want to, because we didn't talk about it before the yeah. show, but do you want to pull doing, them out? Yeah. We're not doing yeah. show and tell. I'm not right. going to make her put them on. Right. But, they're well, pull them out so but I think that these products, I think we're going to have this resurgence of products that for the consumer, and all of these products are insights into Apple's AI initiatives, into Meta's. The Ray-Bans from Meta are amazing. You can say, hey, Meta, and it can do things for you. Right now, it's like, tell me the temperature, take a video. Um, but you can go through and say, hey, they're going to be able to translate languages going forward. I think with the Apple, I think also you get this insight into their AI. To me, the Trojan horse of Apple is Siri. And so I think that's what we're going to continue to hear. What are they going to do? Because there's, I think, 2 billion installed users. They all of a sudden pivot, or not pivot, they, sh they share with us what they're doing with, okay. with, with, with AI and Siri. And whispered, the they haven't Correct. even whispered yeah. a, 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 AI. They haven't even you know, hinted at it. Quick Can you imagine? Here. Quick poll. Does Apple outperform the market this year? Yes or no? I'm not. I'm just asking. Mm -hmm. I want to know your opinion. Outperform the market, yes I, or no? I don't know. Okay, Josh. Outperform the S&P 500? Yeah. No. Brenda? I don't think so. Me neither. <laughs> well, that was wow. quick. What <laughs> next? Did you just do science? You yeah, that, that was not survey monkey quality, Jim. Hold that on. was not like survey monkey quality. Let's, let's, hey, let's you get three. a yeah. sample size. Very small sample size. So I want to switch gears a bit to NVIDIA. Uh, hit a new all-time high today. Obviously still riding the wave of AI enthusiasm. You guys were just talking about it. Following its chip that it allows, quote-unquote, AI at home. Farmer Jim, I'm going to come back over to you. You're, you're a skeptic when it comes to Apple. Well, I mean, Farmer Jim, tell us about AI. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, also, also tractor, Josh, so. if Siri was a standalone company, would it be in the Russell? Uh, I mean, what's, what's Nvidia? I mean, somebody tell me, what's Nvidia up this year? Ten percent? It's already up ten percent. Would you have said this is going to outperform the S&P this year? Nobody would. Myself actually, I actually I might have on this, this one year. because because and I'm going to drive you particularly crazy on this because starting this year the forward multiple on video was what 26. Yeah. I will tell you that for a company that's yeah, growing bad. its earnings 50 percent year over year that's a bargain. I know we're not supposed to use valuation. A lot of times people laugh at me when I do it, but no, I would say that Nvidia would outperform this year. By the way, I would say that the Mag Seven we can't look at that as a monolith. Not every stock is going to outperform mm -hmm. the same way. I know you love yeah. Tesla and I. I'm so happy to see you in person today. I don't want to mess it up, but I, I think we all I think agree on valuation. I think the key is to not be a slave to valuation. Fine. Sure. We're going we're gonna to talk about Netflix uh, in the next block, I think. So I don't want to ruin that conversation, but I would point you out. Tease? Yeah. I, well, I would point out from March 2009 to January 2020, the average P.E. on Netflix was 165 times. Mm -hmm. The stock went up thousands of percentage points during that period. So it's not that valuation doesn't matter. It's just that it doesn't give you any idea of what a stock could do when it's growing and innovating in the way that an NVIDIA or a Netflix could. Folks, you see that profile shot of him? He's talking directly at me. Love you, John. Well, I'm just making, I'm just making one specific argument that you and I have been having. We're going to have to break up this love fest for just a second. Uh, by the way, NVIDIA shares down just about a half a percent. Switching gears a bit, we're watching shares of Boeing right now. The FAA says it is formally launching an investigation 
after part of a Boeing blowing plane. It just blew out in the middle of an Alaska Airlines flight last week. I'm sure you've heard about it. The FAA says it wants to know if Boeing, quote unquote, failed to ensure completed products conform to its approved design and were in a condition for safe operation in compliance with FAA regulations. Brenda, I'm going to turn to you. Boeing shares down one and three quarters of a percent. You're a shareholder. A lot of miscues for this company in recent years, some of them tragic. Uh, of course, the initial incidents with the 737 MAX 9 jets. Are you sticking with this company? Yeah, I agree. Certainly disappointing and concerning. Um, we are sticking with it, with our investment, um, simply because you know there are only two options uh, for our companies to buy planes. And there is just, that is not going to change the story for Boeing's backlog and the number of planes that they're able to sell. So we are sticking with it for that reason, but no doubt that we think that there needs to be some house cleaning going on, especially when it comes to looking at um, overall um, um, overall uh, product right. safety for sure, um, and, and, and getting in the details. You know, yeah, we really I, need I to think, focus I on think that. you're leading me to my next question. I, we didn't get to it. I know you think mm -hmm. NVIDIA CEO, Jensen Wong's a visionary. Mm -hmm. What do you think about Dave Calhoun? You mentioned cleaning house. Well, he's had a rough, <laughs> rough week, certainly, and a rough several interviews where he, I think, clearly um, is, is feeling the heat, of course, um, and, and knows uh, that, that something needs to be done. So uh, no doubt that his feet are being held to the fire here, and um, he needs to make some, some choices uh, okay. about and, and, and make some announcements about what's being done. So speaking we would expect to hear that. Speaking of announcements, again, the FAA launching an investigation into Boeing. Uh, those shares down one and three quarters of a percent. All right, coming up here on halftime. One of the biggest stories of today, Bitcoin ETFs, they begin trading. The Bitwise Bitcoin ETF, that's one of them. It's moving lower in its debut. Bitwise CIO Matt Hogan joins us next. Halftime back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back to halftime. Bitcoin ETFs are now trading. You can see several of them are in the red. Uh, that includes the Bitwise ETF. Let's get to Bob Bassani with the Bitwise CIO. Bob, over to you. And Matt Hogan's here, an old friend of mine. known him for many years. It finally happened. How many years? 11 <laughs> years we've been waiting for this since the Vingelboss twins. Uh, Bitwise, here it is, folks, trading right here, the Bitwise Bitcoin ETF. Your thoughts on the trading, specifically 
Tell us how the volumes, how's the demand, how's the spread? Yeah, we're really excited to bring the lowest cost Bitcoin ETF to market, expense ratio of just 20 basis points on BitB. The initial trading, I think, has exceeded our expectations. There's tens of millions of dollars of trading in our ETF. Spreads are pretty tight. There's a lot of demand on the buy side, so you're seeing some slight premium in our ETF and other ETFs. That's people coming into the Bitcoin market. That's what we want to see. Those spreads will tighten over time, but it's already the lowest cost way to access Bitcoin that I think American investors have ever had. I just want to show you the panel here. Uh, so 2.5 million shares changing hands here. Here's Grayscale, uh, 34 million, but this is an established product. Uh, 20 million over at North of 20 million over at uh, the iShares. Uh, this is, volume is good. Now, I want to just show somebody here, Matt. You can explain this to us. The spread here, 41 to 52. The bid ask, 25, 41 to 52, 11 cents or so. And you're saying there's huge demand. People are just coming in. That's why it's a slightly wider spread. Yeah, I mean, for, for starters, that's a pretty good spread, particularly when you pair it with BitB's 20 basis point expense ratio. But that spread is going to come in. You're seeing demand on the buy side. That's why the ask is where it is. But again, we expect that to bring in. These ETFs eventually should trade a penny, a few pennies Wide. That's what we'll see in a right. week or so. Some people are getting in early, some people are waiting, but it's a big day for Bitcoin. Now, a lot of people are asking me, okay, wait a minute, don't these track Bitcoin? We're up 1.7, here's, here's Grayscale down 0.6. Explain why this is not a good day to say it should track it, but this is not the right day. These will track Bitcoin very well over the long term. They're buying and holding Bitcoin in a custodian. That's all they're doing. You're seeing some variance in demand, Grayscale and existing products. So maybe more people moving into lower fee products, Bitwise, a new product, more demand on the buy side. But these are both great products. There are a lot of great products out there. Again, this will normalize over time. But these are probably the easiest way for people to get peace of mind when they're buying Bitcoin that have ever existed. It's day one. There's going to be a thousand days of it. It's a very exciting moment. Big volume and relatively tight spreads. You should be happy. And it looks like the other nine are also doing well on top of that. Matt Hogan, thanks very much. Always appreciate it. Frank, big day. Back to you. Yeah, very big day. Bob Bassani right here at the New York Stock Exchange. Bob, thank you very much. So earlier today, we also heard from the Grayscale CEO, Michael Sonnenschein. On Squawk Box this morning, his Bitcoin ETF is the priciest product on the market with the highest fee. He was pressed on how he plans to compete. Here's what he had to say. We've been prepared uh, for a world in which there are multiple spot products. GBTC has certainly been the product that has forged the path for all of these other issuers to come to market. Our court victory, our guts, our operations, our disclosures, our work with the SEC. Um, investors should have choice. but. GBTC is coming to market in a very differentiated way. It is going to be, as of this morning, the second largest spot commodity ETF in the world. It has $28 billion of assets under management. And other issuers may try and differentiate on fees. For GBTC, it's about size, liquidity, and track record. All right, GBTC down just about a half a percent right now. Brynn, you own the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Your thoughts on those comments and the action in the market right now? I think it was somewhat of a, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news. We all debated if it's going to be that or the opposite. But I do think it's important. All of these other 10 other ETF providers owed a huge debt of gratitude to Michael and his team for actually suing the SEC, having the court side with them, because none of these would exist without that. And I believe there's about $28 billion in GBTC that was in the trust that's now converted. And so I think it was at 2%. Now it's at one5 So I think there's a lot of embedded capital gains. So for the short term, those assets, I think, will be very sticky. Longer term, 
we all know what happens to fees. In our business, they get compressed. So a year and a half, two years from now, I would think there's no way it's still at one and a half percent. But they've just been a visionary in the space. And so I think that's why they're going to keep their fees there as long as they can. Also, they're making like $2 million a day. So you wouldn't be in a rush to cut fees either. Yeah, Uh, I think I think uh, it'll be really fun to watch because a month from now we'll probably stop talking about some of these and it'll be pretty clear. Some of these will capture the attention of investment advisors like myself. The RIA channel eventually may be the wirehouse brokerage channel. That'll be one horse race. Liquidity is really important to hedge funds who need to get in and out. That'll be a different horse race. And maybe that's the one sun and shine wins. Um, But there will be a different version for different users. And we see examples of that in a lot of different asset classes. I just don't think there are going to be 10 of them. Right. So. Right. I think a lot of people don't think that. Just in general, uh, what percent of a portfolio do you think an RIA is going to make something like this? I mean, we're, we're, we were like a little bit too ahead of our time. We launched an index product uh, with Wisdom Tree a couple of years ago, uh, right before uh, Sam Bankman freed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So I'm like a bad example. Um, we, uh, we have clients that are interested. Those are the clients who we allocate to the index product. So last year was a good year. The year before was terrible. Um, but we don't like go out and say, you should do this. Right. We have a solution if people want to do it. And our solution, of course, is passive. It's an index. Okay. It's tax efficient. But like we're not, uh, we're not running around screaming. There's no one size fits all. Got no, you. some clients shouldn't and some clients sh- okay. should. And it's, you know. All right. Uh, right now, we got to get to the headlines with Pippa Stevens. Pippa, good afternoon. Hey, Frank. GOP Senator Tom Tillis introduced a bill today that would give the Supreme Court the sole ability to decide candidate eligibility based on the 14th Amendment. It comes as former President Trump faces state challenges to be on the ballot in Colorado and Maine. But sources tell NBC News the bill has little chance of getting a vote in the Senate. The Biden administration is awarding $623 million in grants in an effort to build a nationwide EV charging network. In an announcement today, the grants will fund charging stations and ports across 22 states and Puerto Rico. The grants are part of the Biden administration's goal to ensure EVs make up half of all new sales by 2030. And it's official. Bill Belichick's 24-season reign as head coach of the New England Patriots is over. Patriots owner Robert Kraft and the six-time Super Bowl winner made the announcement just moments ago. It comes after the Patriots finished this latest season 4-13. The 71-year-old Belichick said this afternoon he will always be a Patriot. Frank, back to you. Wow. Really the end of an era. Uh, I was in Boston, I got to witness some of the Super Bowl wins, including the 28 and 3. Just an amazing career for Bill Belichick. Congrats to him. Mm-hmm. Pippa, thank you very much. All right, straight ahead here on half. We're trading the day's biggest movers from the streaming wars to the EV market to the software space. The committee debates all of it halftime. It's going to be back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
All right, welcome back to halftime. Let's get to some stocks on the move. Two calls on Disney today. Wells Fargo is re reiterating its overweight rating, while Moffat Nathanson says buy it. Brenda, you own Disney. Yeah, so Disney obviously has been pretty disappointing um, over the last several years. But I think if we look at what this year is likely to bring, you know, we think that the overall losses related to streaming will probably be lessened as the year goes on, given the company's focus more on profitability. We're also going to overlap the actor strike from last year, which should be a positive. Um, and uh, so we think there are uh, some reasons to be constructive about the stock. We're sticking with it uh, because of the you know strong media franchise that's just second to none um, and expect to have, you know, and hope that investors will revisit the name, uh, just given what we think is likely to be some improvement um, in overall uh, sentiment this year. I'll also add to, lastly, that if we look at the environment we've been in over the last several years, it's been, there's been so many pandemic distortions in the way that people consume media and entertainment. And I think Disney really got caught up in that on the negative side over the last year. So we think this year could be a little bit more normalized in terms of people um, normalizing behavior, and I think that should be a positive for Disney. All right, turning to Netflix now, shares up almost 1.5%. The company's new ad tier crossing 23 million monthly users. The stock at a 52-week high today. Josh, you've been watching the 500-buck level on Netflix. It just crossed that today. What's your take? I think it's a breakout within a breakout. This is one of the best stocks in the market right now. Um, I have been in the stock before. I'm not in it currently. I bought it when it blew up in May of 2022. I was actually on vacation. I had never seen a stock blow up so badly um, over news that wasn't catastrophic. And I didn't think Netflix's situation at that time was catastrophic. And clearly, it was not. In that moment, it was trading 15 times trailing earnings. Now it's 50 times trailing earnings. So as much as I wish I were in it, I would not pull the trigger and buy it here today. Um, that being said, if you ask, like, is the streaming war uh, over? The answer is yes. And why? Because Netflix already won. Uh, and I think that's become very evident to everyone uh, at this point, and that's why the stock has done what it's done. All right, turning to another streamer, Paramount, downgraded to sell at Redburn. The company says it sees entertainment advertising at a negative tipping point. Jim, you own this one, shares down about 5.5% right now. Yeah, good Lord, I wish I'd never heard the word Paramount, but here I am, uh, nonetheless. Uh, look, a lot of noise around this stock, and that includes the potential sale by Sherry Redstone, the controlling shareholder of her company, uh, National Amusements, which owns Paramount. That actually may be the reason for the pressure on the shares today, as opposed to the downgrade, uh, because there's a perception that maybe she's doing a fire sale price. But however, when I think about this stock, which again has been terrible for me, I have to think about going forward. Now, the last quarter, this was two months ago, they had a quarter that was much better than expectations. I don't know if that's the aberration or if they've actually turned things around. I am going to wait until the fourth quarter is reported, which should be about three weeks from now. And I'm going to see if, and this is the most important thing, if their peak losses call uh, in the streaming business is accurate and if they're still growing subscribers. Because the way out of this mess for them is the, subscri the streaming subscriber business. Uh, so I'm going to wait for one more quarter and see what the earnings come in as. All right, turning to shares of Hertz. They are lower. If the company said it's going to sell about a third of its EV fleet, it will reinvest some of that money into gas-powered vehicles. Bryn, you're the one flagging this story today. Give us a sense. What do you make of this pretty sharp reversal? I mean, you, you can't make this up. When the government shoves down policy that the consumer does not want and then gives all these subsidies to companies, this is what happens. I have said for a long time there are two cars in the U.S. that Americans want to buy. Tesla and Rivian that are EVs. Everybody else 
is trying to play catch up. And so what's happening is I think this is ultimately very positive for Tesla because as the economy slows, we'll go through the cycle. I guarantee you that the other big U.S. automakers will stop spending here. And ultimately, the U.S. globally is only 9%. I could see in four or five years that Tesla makes up the majority of the, and Rivian as well, makes up the majority of that space. Yeah. So it's negative for Tesla today, but it's very long-term bullish as I think the other big companies are going to pull back because U.S. consumers do not want okay. these cars in mass. All right, big call on Tesla. Tesla, but hurts down about 4% right now. All right, coming up, more contrarian ideas for 2024. Brenda says there are opportunities in one underperforming area of the market. She's going to tell us all about it coming up next on Halftime. Stay with us. As you can see, the Dow off of its lows of earlier today. Welcome back to Halftime. We're continuing our series on the committee's top country and ideas for 2024. Brenda, it's your turn, and you're saying bet on REITs. Give us, give us the reason why, REITs. Yes, so REITs have been a real underperformer, especially last year, until the fourth quarter, I'll say. Uh, but when we look at the relative yield that they provide, it's pretty uninspiring, uh, you know, at around, around 4% versus 5% in a money market fund. Uh, but we think that's likely to change. There's also been a lot of concerns, certainly about um, commercial office space. But that commercial office space is actually a pretty small part of the overall investable universe for REITs. And then, of course, we have you know just rates in general, where many of these are levered uh, companies, and when you, they have to refinance at much higher rates. But when we look out going forward with rates coming down, uh, we think there's a more compelling um, a story here for not only the, re- the, the return and yield that they provide, but also uh, for a better outlook in terms of fundamentals with rates coming down, with the economy still remaining relatively healthy. Sentiment, as I mentioned, was, it's been really negative over a very small piece of the overall market here. Uh, so we think there is opportunity in this part of the, the market. So you're saying it's more than a dividend, dividend of 4%. You're saying it's beyond that. I think it's beyond that. You know, if we look at certainly if we look at sentiment over the last year, it was not only the high interest rate environment, but also real legitimate concerns over commercial real estate, particularly in office. But that office space, if you look at the broad REIT universe, is only about 4%. So it's pretty tiny. It's not the REIT universe okay. overall, but I think it's all been wrapped up uh, with that concern. All right. Brenda's contrarian pick, ticker VNQ, uh, coming up next here on Halftime. Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. And later, we're going beyond on the banks, the setup on the two other key names reporting this week. Much more halftime coming up right after this. And we are we're back here on halftime. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us now with his midday word. Mike, take a look at the markets. They're pulling back from their lows of earlier. Yeah, we're, we're kind of uh, migrating around the same zone. Uh, S&P 4750 seems like a pretty popular spot to crisscross uh, for the past couple of weeks, actually. It's tough to, to sort of separate out uh, the reaction to the CPI data this morning from the ongoing process of a market trying to digest a massive two-month rally. One pronounced uh, pattern, though, in the last few days has been the way that the small caps, the banks, the cyclicals, the transports, even the speculative stuff like the ARK Invest Fund have really rolled over relative to the old favorites of mega cap growth. So everybody wants to see a broadening market. Maybe too many people are wishing and hoping for a broadening market. But the net effect to me is a subsurface pullback 
that, that's consolidating those gains. Okay. Maybe not the worst thing in the world to have the average stock pull back into earnings season, maybe lower the bar for a reaction, a decent reaction to numbers. All right, so Mike, got to get your, your take on one of the big stories of today, uh, the spot Bitcoin ETFs. What's your take on the action we're seeing? Um, I mean, to some degree, there was just such a buildup and just sort of a pile up at the starting gate uh, that I'm not surprised you saw a burst of enthusiasm and then a, a recognition that maybe nothing much has changed. I don't see the real reason why new vehicles for owning something that wasn't terribly hard to own should be decisive in terms of the price curve longer term. I, you know, I know you guys are talking about it. I remember when the gold and the oil ETFs mm-hmm. came around. I remember when the VIX futures ETFs came around. So it doesn't necessarily mean uh, it's all of a sudden a, a dawn of a, of a new age for the asset class, but uh, but we'll see. Down 3,000 from the morning high in Bitcoin, right? You know, Josh is saying you're hating, Mike. I just think you're giving your midday word and your keen insights, but Josh is calling you a hater. Mike's saying totally with his midday word. I'm sitting it out. Put it that way. (laughs) Mike, thank you very much. I don't think you're hating at all. All right, coming up here on Halftime, the earnings set up beyond the banks. Delta and United Health also on deck. How the committee is positioned. That is coming up on Halftime. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to halftime. It is not just the big banks reporting earnings tomorrow. We also hear from Delta, United Health. So let's get the setup. Jim, you own both of these. What are you watching for? So Delta, back around six months ago, in the middle of the summer, they did an investor day in which they predicted $7 a share this year. Um, the street clearly doesn't believe that. It's at $6.50. What you're looking for for Delta tomorrow is a confirmation that they're still on track for $7 a share. And that really comes down to demand. If you look at TSA passenger throughput, clearly the demand is there. Uh, obviously, costs will play in, but jet fuel's been coming down with the price of crude oil. So I think this sets up well for the street to kind of come around to the fact that Delta is doing a lot better than it expected. On United Health, comes down to medical reimbursement costs. Uh, those have been trending higher. There's some noise this week from CVS that their medical reimbursements have gone up a little bit. So you want to hear tomorrow what the projection is in 2024 for medical uh, claim reimbursements. All right, two things to watch right there. Uh, stay with us. Final trace from the committee coming up. Josh has already warned us. He's not going to be hating, but he might take up all the time. Stay with us right here on Halftime. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. As you can see, markets are off their lows. Welcome back to halftime time now for final trades. We're going to start things off with Josh. You're up first. Ladies and gentlemen, if you see a tear in my eye, it's because earlier today before the program, shares of Uber took out an all-time record high price above the February 2021 high. Pretty historic moment for this company. Uh, Goldman Sachs this morning came out, raised their target to 78 so uh, the streak continues. I remain long the stock. Still love it. Frank, back to you. All right, victory lap over. Bryn, you're up next. Uranium. Uranium had a strong year in 2023. I think it'll be another strong year. There's a renaissance in nuclear energy. Um, URNM owns both the physical as well as the miners. Brenda. Um, Abbott Labs. This story has really been muddied up by COVID tests and fears over Ozempic, but the underlying business is strong, and I think that's going to be a focus this year. Jim. Vertex also sets an all-time high. This is a very good pharmaceutical biotech play. 
All right, as we mentioned, the markets are off their lows of earlier. Right now, the Dow down about 150 points. The Nasdaq, the hardest hit out the group, down almost three quarters of 1%. That's going to do it for us here on Halftime. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 